All right, guys, welcome to Hanging Out with Hamza. Today I'm in New York with the lovely Katie Duke. Uh, she is a nurse practitioner practicing in New York right now. She has a long list of achievements behind her, as well as being an advocate for women and nurses in general. So stay tuned and thanks for listening. Let's get into the shit. Hey, y'all, this is Hamza, and I'm super happy we get to hang out for a little bit. All right, thanks for coming to hang out with me, Katie. Let's get started. Uh, so I gave a brief introduction about you and I'm gonna pass it on to you to kind of fill in any holes that I missed out on. No pressure. Well, um, I would say thank you for having me, but you're in New York, you're in my city. So you're welcome. Thank you. It's an honor. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm always excited when people come to New York because the energy here is just different. My name is Katie Duke. I am a nurse practitioner. I have been a nurse for just about 20 years and a nurse practitioner for the last eight. I uh, do practice full time. I work with a health tech startup here in New York. And I also have a whole other second and third career of being a social media creator and an advocate uh, for not only just nursing, but healthcare professionals in general. Over the last uh, 10 years of my career, I have pioneered a lot of things that I'm very proud of. I was the very first ever um, nurse influencer. I was actually the very first healthcare influencer on social media. And I started doing that in 2013 when Instagram had that really ugly brown logo. Yeah. Um, and I realized that there was a big void out there in the space where healthcare providers outside of just physicians you know, they were the only people who were ever in the media. And I realized that there's a big void out there because we need to see more women. We need to see more nursing representation. So I had an opportunity from a TV show I was on called New York Med. It was a primetime series on ABC. It aired for two seasons. And that kind of threw an opportunity into my lap that I wasn't really expecting, but I seized that for all the good things that I could out of it. And what that did was that thrust me into a media spotlight. And it really gave me a strong catalyst to kind of start this brand new thing called social media because in 2013, 2014, it was still like very new to a lot of people. Right. There were no brand pages. There were not like organized social and creative campaigns. There weren't like ambassador teams. There was not social media policies in hospitals, but I knew that it was a really good platform to speak up for what the average nurse and healthcare professional go through on just a regular shift. So I started sharing my stories about what it was like being an, um, an ER nurse in New York City. And over time, that started growing into other opportunities, such as speaking at nursing schools, which, funny story, Christian and I met in 27, wait, 2017 or 2016? So it was 2017. I was actually retained as a speaker to come and speak at his... Um, God, was it the organization or the nursing school? It was uh, Rockford University. Rockford University. Yep. It's not my school, but I saw you were speaking there, and I was like, I'm Yeah, you were you you were there. Um, but I started doing some really. I started having a lot of opportunities come into my plate that I really enjoyed and I took a lot of pride in. I love speaking. I love um, being able to be an impactful person. And so I really decided that back then that I wanted to make this into sort of a second career. And over time, it really grew into, um, you know, what it is now. And over the last 10 years, I have worked with over 200 brands on very impactful social media and brand campaigns. 
I have a full-time job as a creator um, and an influencer. I have had a podcast. I've done stand-up shows. I have been featured in articles from the New York Times to the Washington Post to um, Marie Claire, Harper's Bazaar. I've had a lot of really great opportunities. And something that I'm very proud of is that it's been a very relatable and authentic and transparent road. Yeah. Because I've done a lot of dumb shit and I've made a lot of bad decisions and I've always been real in speaking openly about those. And that's something that's really important to me because I think we need a little more normalcy and relatability, especially in this clouded fake world of social media. Um, So that kind of, you know, pushed me into the pillars of the things that I talk about now, which is transparent, conversations about real life things and real professional career concerns and being an advocate for our profession and a speaker and, you know, just being somebody that um, can sort of be a lightning rod for the things that need to be said publicly, but not everyone can speak out publicly. Yeah. That was a really long intro. No, that's amazing. I mean, <laughs> so, that's a pretty great, like, <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome background and you have so much under your sleeve and that's what, I was talking to Zai before doing this because I like to get a little bit of a background of the person I'm speaking to. And, you know, you're the one guest I've had now where I'm just like, I don't even know where to begin with her. She has so much. He's trying to say I'm old. No, (laughs) you just have so much accomplishments and I don't even know where to start. But I definitely want to start from the origin of your social media presence, which I think, you know, is it's a big part of a lot of our lives, especially with. Uh, being in healthcare and trying to be like an influencer in healthcare. It's how we all met in this room. Exactly. Yeah. And it's such a niche market. Yeah. And we talked about this at breakfast before we did this podcast about how it's so hard because sometimes you meet somebody through social media, especially in this healthcare world, it's so small that we all connect. But then when you meet people in person, sometimes they're not as they seem online. There's a very big They're contrast. fucking fake. Yeah. yeah. So Let's just call it what it I is. I think that's how Katie and I kind of really connected because, you know, we felt like we were the same person that we met online and the presence we shared together online versus in person was very similar. And um, that's something I really admired and loved about Katie is she's been a no bullshit person from the time I met her. And um, obviously she's been a bit a big advocate for that and being completely transparent and honest in all of her success and her failures. So with that being said, I wanted to go back to your origin about this whole social media presence. Um, obviously, because you started so early in your career before all of this, how did you have that foresight that this was going to be the form of social media? Because at the time, Facebook was probably more popular. And I felt oh, yeah, like, everyone was on Facebook. Yeah. So what, yeah. what gave you that? Did you know that Instagram was going to be the thing? Or did you just kind of go along just like having fun with it? And then it just fell into place? Or I had no idea, yeah. truthfully. And I, I didn't really I didn't have much direction back then. Um, I didn't know what it was going to become in five years, 10 years. Yeah. I didn't really have like a a specific like goal or a plan with it as far as like long-term shit. But what I did know is that this is where people can come to learn about what life is like as a healthcare professional and a nurse. And this is where we can share stories. Can I always use the example of if you're a little kid and you want to like play basketball, where do you go? You can watch TV and you can watch Kobe and the Lakers. You can go to a basketball camp. You can read books. You can watch movies. You can go to all of these different avenues. But if you want to be a healthcare provider, where the fuck do you go if you don't know somebody? Like, we don't have anybody out there who's in that spotlight who can help encourage and mentor people coming up. 
So that was sort of like the initial driving force in addition to, you know, just sharing stories about what life was like um, working in a level one trauma center in the emergency room in New York City. Was but, this before Twitter too? Was Twitter um, no, Twitter Twitter was around then also. And yeah. Twitter was the first platform that I was really active yeah, on. Yeah, because I and, feel like that was a big thing. Yeah, and I was hosting like giveaways on Twitter and like Twitter after dark, like in 2012, 2011. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was like, it, it was just such a small niche of people. It was just a small group of people. Um, but I never really intended it for kind of, I really never intended it for kind of like to, for it to kind of grow into what it has today. But yeah. I knew along the way that I could make something more tangible out of this. And I knew that I could do something with this that would, um, give me more opportunities because at the end of the day, I don't want to be in a hospital for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's not a good place for me. It's not a good place for a lot of people, but oftentimes we kind of get pigeonholed and have this tunnel pipeline to like, you have to work in the hospital. So I saw, especially as brands started paying me, I was like, oh, this could like be something else, um, you know, and I could make something out of this in addition to it being a good example for other people that need someone to look up to or a resource. Yeah. And so, I, I do want to get into that, you advocating for nurses, because obviously with the current climate, I feel like you've been doing this from the start before this was even like a big issue now. Before, yeah, before it was out. a thing. Yeah. So uh, going from that social media presence that you developed, is that how you kind of got into NY Med uh, TV show? Did they reach out to you because of that or did you just apply to it? Like what was the origin behind No, that? no. In fact, all that came first. Oh, okay. So yeah. You so did that I was working as an ER nurse and... I worked at New York Presbyterian Cornell, which is one of the top hospitals in New York, one of the top, top hospitals in the, the country. And yeah. ABC and New York Presbyterian partnered together to do a primetime documentary series, a medical documentary series. So they chose three nurses from the emergency room to follow um, as characters for the show. Three of the most badass um, nurses. <laughs> and it was, we were all very different. Yeah. We were all very different, um, but we all had different stories, different backgrounds. Um, and I think one of the things that they liked about me was that I had a story, but I was also, again, just very brutally honest and open, mm -hmm. just an open book and talking about the things that need to be talked about. Um, so I got chosen for the show. So that show aired on ABC like six to eight million people would watch each episode. And so that is how I got my first, um, you know, group of followers and audience on yeah. social media. Cause I had an Instagram page, I had a Twitter page and, you know, the hospital encouraged us to talk about the show, post about the show. And, um, you know, it was something that I was excited about. And so that was the first thing that was what started all of it. And then with that being said, you were let go on the show. Do you want to go further into what happened during that period of time and how that kind of transitioned you to other things that led from there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's kind of like beating a dead horse at the end of the day. Like yeah. it's 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 something that back then was monumental, but I look back at it now and I'm like, Psh. happens like it it, it happens it and it it's it yeah it does. But ten years ago, um, again, I I was on the show and I was off work. And one of my friends, who was the chief resident at the time, he posted a picture of an empty trauma room on his Instagram page. And there was a big case that had came in um, earlier, like that week. 
and it was all over the news. It was all over the, like they were filming it for the TV show also. And it was a guy that got hit by a train and survived, which is just impossible. Yeah. It's just, it just doesn't happen. You don't survive traumatic arrests. You also don't survive traumatic arrests by a New York, by any subway train for that matter. So it was a huge deal. And he had that case and that patient made it up to the OR and like everyone was talking about it. So he posts this picture of the empty trauma room, trauma room from after the trauma. And I was like, wow, that's a really dope photo. Can I um, like, can I repost this? And I screenshotted it and I posted it on my page like a week later. Um, and I had gotten called into the, I was working, this was again, like two weeks had passed. I was working and I got called into my director's office and my director who he and I had had problems for a while. Ever since they started filming the TV show, he and I had problems. There was a lot of people that changed how they treated me when the TV cameras were around gotcha. because there was a lot of jealousy. There was a lot of envy. There was a lot of bad attitudes. There was a lot of people that didn't like the fact that there was filming going you were just on. just like under a magnifying glass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was still the same nurse and the same person. I was charge nurse. I was triage nurse. I precepted so many people who were coming through there. I was involved in committees. I had all these accolades and this, you know, people just started treating me differently because the cameras were there um, or because they were jealous that they weren't on the show. But I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. So my manager and I, we had a very tumultuous relationship. So he called me in at the end of my shift one day. And he's like, it's really unfortunate because you've been such a great nurse during all of your years here. But um, Katie, you're just trying to do too much. You're trying to be the next Dr. Oz. You're trying to have this big voice in the media and you're just a nurse. No one cares what you have to say. Wow. And I don't want you here anymore. I want people who are gonna come here, be a nurse and go home. You're trying to do too much and I'm gonna let you go. And, um, you know, and he's like, but we're going to report to human resources that we're firing over you over this photo you posted because we feel it's insensitive. And I was like, well, are you going to fire the chief resident who posted it too? And he's like, that's not in my concern. Anyway, long story short, there's a lot more that happened in that situation, but I was let go from a job after seven years. It like upended my entire life. I was like, my whole world is over. I was in grad school at the time going to Columbia, getting like portions of my student loans paid. I had to pay back. And then I was like shit out of, I had no insurance. Everything was dropped like the next morning. And I was just like, what the fuck? Um, luckily I had a per diem job at Lenox Hill Hospital. So I just picked up some hours there, but I really realized like, damn, like these people will just throw nurses away. Yeah. You're going to throw away one of the most seasoned nurses in your emergency room. Like this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. That was really what kind of, pushed me to talk about moments like that because I guarantee it happens to so many people. I mean, how many people know someone who's been fired over bullshit? Yeah. So many of us. So um, that was that, but you know, I, I learned a very valuable lesson. I also learned that if you're gonna step out in the public eye and be this public figure, you also need to like watch the things that you post because yeah. not everybody speaks ER nurse language. Yeah being in this kind of public space. And I talked to this about Ali in the last um, episode that with you being on a, you know, magnifying glass, anything you do, whether it's, you know, a mind minuscule thing like your situation, you're just like, you have to be extra careful and extra vigilant mm -hmm. about that. And that's yeah. why, you know, for the listeners of this, I think, you know, they, a lot of them probably don't know like why you got let go. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because it does exemplify how you didn't really do anything wrong. You just, you made an innocent, um, 
you took an innocent action that they held you accountable for that wasn't honestly like anything more than just but now that's the normal i mean yeah look at what people post nowadays like yeah. it also just goes to show you the growth of what's acceptable and considered sensitive or insensitive on social media because yeah. back when that happened you know no one was doing that it wasn't the normal it wasn't the the status quo but yeah. now you know it is and um now hospitals have social media policies and people know you know so much more about it but back then people were like what is what is this yeah and so. then i guess when you were let go and you were, did go through that situation i feel like you know i went through a similar thing recently and you look at it in the moment you kind of panic and you kind of think like oh my life's like uprooted but ultimately looking back i'm sure you can appreciate how it's kind of set you on this entirely different path now and even being yeah. an advocate do you feel like that moment is what made you really want to advocate for uh, nurses and nurses oh, yeah. rights based on that whole interaction yeah because we're fucking disposable yeah. and it's partially because we're not valued by the hospital we are a cost we're a line item we are not a revenue generating service even yeah. though we are the widely we are the most used service across hospitals in the united states yeah. more than physician services surgery services Say that time times fast. <laughs> More than ambulatory care, like all of it. And we are just so disposable. And we are in a very punitive culture that is the nursing culture, that also is the healthcare administrative culture and how they treat nurses. So that was really like the thing that was like, oh, you have to keep doing this because this happens, this happens to people all the time. Yeah. But there just wasn't anybody going out there and speaking up about the things that affect nurses. And, you know, there's obviously a lot more people who are doing it nowadays, but it was hard to do it back then because people looked at me and they're like, why are you doing all this? Like, this isn't gonna amount to shit. It's probably a fear-based thing too, because I mean, you know, in order for somebody to speak out, that would mean their job's on the line and you already went through that. So at that point, you were probably like a, the I don't give a fuck situation. And yeah. like people unfortunately have a lot to lose when they do that, but you have to take that first scary step. Yeah. Um, so going into that, in terms of your advocacy, is there anything like in particular that you do right now that I know you had that recent uh, New York Times article or Washington or Washington, Washington Post. Post article? Do you want to speak more on that? And kind of I'll add the link in the bio, guys, for you to read about. But what was the main kind of drive behind your article and what you wanted to talk about? So the journalist, her name is Jennifer Miller, um, Jim Miller. She initially reached out to me in 20. 22 like the beginning of 2022 i had just did i had just did i had just done two stand-up shows for my bad decisions um which i can't wait podcast. to talk about that's so awesome you did and see. yeah it was it was pretty awesome it was a sold out show it was it was it was awesome honestly it was one of the best nights of my life but um she had reached out to me after that and i was like you know we are um just kind of going back and forth and she's like i just want to know a little more about like what you do because I've been doing a lot of research and we've been doing a lot of articles with um, influencers and the creator industry and how it's just changing the marketing world. And it's also changing how people connect with um, each other and brands and also job opportunities for people. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. She's like, but I don't understand how a nursing professional can work in the creator industry. Like it was like a whole and I'm like the same way a fashion blogger would. And she's yeah. like, but you're a nurse practitioner. And I'm like, but I know. <laughs> um, it was just this very foreign concept. And I said, there's actually a lot of opportunities for healthcare providers 
online and on social media. Um, my niche areas just happen to be, I do a lot of creator work with brands and I make great money from that, but I also do a lot of advocacy and it's actually gotten me into a lot of shit at my employers. And I said, that's what I really want to talk to you about. She's like, well, what's happened? And I said, oh, come have a seat. And we started talking and I told her, I said, I have been fired from jobs for this. I have been not rehired back to a very like good job that I left in good standing with excellent references in less than a year. Um, and I have like emails from chief nursing officers stating that like, Katie, we feel that Katie is an unprofessional representation of nurses on social media. And we feel that Katie portrays the sexy nurse and that's not the image we want. Or Katie uses her voice in a way that doesn't fit our narrative. And I have lost travel contracts. I have like so many job opportunities because of the punitive culture that is healthcare and nursing. And when I started telling her these things and sharing these stories, she's like, she was like flabbergasted. She's yeah. like, this is this this is all out there. Yeah. And I said, yeah. And I said, in fact, like it's not just me. I'm just the one who's talking about it. Like, yeah. not everybody feels comfortable sharing those things. And I'll never pressure anybody to go out there and share your story and own your truth. But me, like, that's that's my thing. That's what I do. That's what people expect from me. And that's, you know, what they can get from me is they can get a real, honest, relatable moment and experiences and lessons that I've learned. And so the base of the article is the hospital, the, the nurse that no hospital will hire. And it sounds like the worst title, but trust me, like my mom has been a nurse for 60 years. Yeah. When she got the email, like, check out this article, mom. I'm in the Washington Post. She's like, Catherine Elizabeth, the nurse no hospital will hire? What are my friends gonna think? And I mean, like, I don't even think she read the article for like two weeks yeah. until I actually like sent her a hard copy. Um, but she was like, what is this? And I said, well, it's kind of the truth. Yeah. Um, hospitals love to control the narrative of how nursing professionals and healthcare professionals speak up about their experiences, about our ratios, about our patient safety, about bullying, about racism, about hazing, about punitive culture, about lateral violence, unsafe workplaces, pay inequity. I could go on. Yeah. But all of those things are the shit that I'm talking about. And it has served me in one way and not served me in other ways. Right. So the basis of the article is about that. And she did a deep dive into my life. I mean, she interviewed my family. She interviewed my mentors. She interviewed my college professors. She interviewed, wow. she tried to interview like people who had fired me, but of course they declined to comment on everything. Um, she interviewed my travel nursing agency. She interviewed um, people from my social media audience who I've like mentored or over the years who've now like started their own businesses. Um, Cause that's another thing that I've done that I'm also very like, that I love doing. I love helping people really hone in and like take a leap to try something different. And yeah. I think that the more that you grow and you have more opportunities, you owe it to the other people in your community to like help bring them up along. Right. And this is something I always say and something that she and I talked about is um, when you're in a room with people speak the names of your friends, like put your other people on, right. put your friends on, put people on. When you're in a room with people who can make or break or create an opportunity, who do you talk about? Who do you promote? Yeah. Who do you, who, whose name do you share when you're in those rooms? 
And I think that's something that social media has really given us a great opportunity to do as well. So the article touches on all of that. And she was really like, she's like, man, like she honestly had a hard time pitching the article at first. It took like a good seven, eight months um, for the Washington Post to really come around. And then they ended up putting it on the front page above the fold of the style section. That's amazing. And then it has the entire back page. And like, that's a big, that's a big deal. If you know a lot about journalism, you know that there are some publications that uh, you cannot buy your way into. Yeah. You can't buy your way into that. Um, but to have something resonate with, you know, with a journalist and then have it resonate with the editor and have them be like, the story's really intriguing. Um, that's a big honor. And so that article, you know, has been a really um, strong piece in my career that I'm very proud of. And if I was still working at the hospital, I would have not been able to do any of that. Yeah. And um, just think, goes to show you how fucked up it is. Yeah. I, you brought up, you know, being a nurse that speaks up on things too. I think add to that, you're a female. And I think being in the healthcare industry, being a strong female with, you know, an opinion, is also like a, a double-edged sword because <laughs> yeah i mean i spoke to ali and the, the funny thing is uh she mentioned how people will often call you like a bitch or like you know say that oh she's like mean or unapproachable and stuff and it's just because you're a female speaking up for herself yeah and like being a nurse plus that uh you know automatically has like these hospital systems and people like afraid to hire you and have you in their field because you just stand up for yourself, which is unfortunately not something that. Yeah. And then imagine standing up for an entire profession. Like no yeah. one's going to want to fucking hire this you. Was, I'm pretty sure I'm DNR from every hospital right. in the country at and this point. I want to address to the listeners. She did this before COVID. So before, you know, standing up for nurses was considered cool, I guess. Like she's <laughs> done it before, like all of this was brought to light. And Shit, I think, since 2013. Yeah. And you just basically kind of spoke about the same things that are only being brought up now and i think that's incredible that you put your entire life and career at risk to do this stuff and covid if anything just kind of brought it more magnification to it yeah it brought it brought more people to the table like, yeah, to have the conversation to have that yeah conversation. but now everybody's an advocate now everybody is speaking up now everybody is you know has a platform and i love to see you know those numbers yeah i just i wish it was like that you know throughout the time year, years ago because you know, sometimes it was, but even sometimes with, it was tough. Even with that being said, there are people that advocate or talk about it, but they don't actually act on it. And that's another thing. It's like you not only have been talking about it, but have acted on it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, leading into that, I mean, your advocacy is like, you know, pretty incredible. And, you know, I'm learning a lot along the way with this. And that's why I wanted you on the podcast, because there's so much I've heard about you through secondhand experience through my best friend, Zai, being a nurse. I Don't believe any of it. In the community. <laughs> I mean, he mostly talks shit about you, but yeah, the I nice figured, stuff, yeah, you know, yeah, the 2% stuff is really nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, going into that, I definitely want to, this is a passion project podcast. So there's a lot of stuff I know you're passionate about. Uh, I wanted to talk about firstly, your cooking and for selfish reasons, I want to know more about stand-up because I love comedy and I love <laughs> stand-up comedy. And to know that you took that leap of faith into that is incredible. So I want to know more about how crazy. you got into that, what you talk about in there, and what, what your tour consisted of. If you so, want. yeah. So it all started with my podcast. So I had a podcast for two and a, two and a half years called Bad Decisions. And um, that's kind of what I'm known for, making bad decisions and speaking openly about them. So um, my management team one day is like, Katie, we think that you should really consider doing 
a podcast. I mean, a, uh, a stand-up show based on your podcast. And I'm like, are you trying to get me DNR from every employer in the nation? I'm like, why would I do that? I was still like doing like travel jobs and whatnot at the time. And I'm like, a stand-up show? And they're like, well, like, look at look at you as a, as like as a person, right? You have always been a very powerful speaker. I'm a, I one thing I'm very good at. I'm very good at public speaking. I'm really good at giving talks, motivating a crowd. That's something we all have that thing that we're really good at. Um, and I was really good, you know, with talking openly about dumb shit that I've done and advocating. And so we decided to um, do this crazy thing and take my podcast and sort of spin it and turn it into a stand-up show. So we, uh, we hired a comedy writer here from New York who I worked with for about like five or six months. And during our exchanges, I was talking about, so here's the things that I want to talk about. We were fresh off of COVID. I wanted to talk about Trump. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, you know, the the shit that hospitals put all of us through. I wanted to talk about us getting rocks for Nurses Week. I wanted to talk about how we're disposable. I wanted to talk about how I got whole, how I literally got hauled out of the hospital in the middle of COVID by a security guard because the CEO found out I was working there and got rid of me. Um, I. I, I wanted to talk about all these things, but I wanted to do it in a lighthearted way to bring people together to make them laugh. Right. So um, my team, we we then hired and started working with a touring company and a touring company is who takes care of all the logistics of things as far as venues, ticket sales, sound, special effects, lighting. And we hired an illustrator and an animator and we created an entire like animated series that was playing on the big screen behind me. And it was, so an, cool. it was an hour show. Um, ended up being like 90 minutes yeah. and um, what I do, I did one show in New York and one show in LA and I found a local creator who I could partner with and put on with me. So for my New York show, um, Jackie, who's actually a FIGS ambassador, but she also owns Riot Healers. Yeah. She does some amazing graphic art design She's that awesome. I fucking love. So I had her design all of the merch and then I had her help me with my opening in New York and then in LA. Um, one of my good friends, Dr. James Simmons, his also known as Ask the NP on Instagram. He is a brown LGBTQ member and he is um, somebody who I really respect. And again, going back to the like, put your friends on and put other people on as you come up kind of mentality. And the shows were like, <laughs> the shows were like standing room, like, People, I mean, I, I really think it was like one of like the best nights of my life. And I felt very natural, but like I was rehearsing for like five months. Like I was rehearsing. I was, you know, I couldn't memorize all my fucking lines, but um, I had a teleprompter, thank God. But, you know, putting on a whole show and doing a stand up and like being like, please let people laugh at my fucking jokes because there is nothing worse than being on stage and the room is silent. Yeah. That is actually a whole, like, full-fledged nightmare. Um, and those two shows were such a success. And they're like, you know, I think that we should do some more cities. And I ended up going to start to launch new cities. And I had just started a crisis contract at the same time. And um, my agency was like, we can't get you off any of these days. And I had to push back the second leg of the tour. And we're going to hopefully try to relaunch it again this fall and do just a few cities. But um, the Bad Decisions tour, like doing stand-up comedy was like, 
it was very exhilarating. Yeah. Um, but I think people just needed to come out and hear someone who they, you know, can relate to trash hospital administration. Yeah. I think that's the best. <laughs> that's that, that was it. That's the best thing about comedy. That was it. <laughs> comedy is great in that it, it can present such important topics in such a digestible format. And yeah. I think that's yeah. why, you know, Dave Chappelle and so many of these yeah. comedians are highly regarded because they take such heavy topics and break it down into a format that you're able to not only like laugh at, but understand like the importance yeah. of it. And yeah. um, it's, you know, it's, you hit a larger audience with that. Like I'm sure you had a lot of people that aren't in healthcare or don't know anything about what's going on and they learn maybe just from what um, you're going through. Well, I mean, people li- people listen to my podcast maybe who aren't in health. It's not a healthcare podcast, yeah. but um, for the show, it was all healthcare providers. Oh, okay. I mean, like Shelly Rockwell flew in from fucking Tulsa like to go to the show. Danielle Levesque came in from Columbus. Like yeah. people were flying in. I mean, it was really, um, it was such a special night. Yeah. I just, like, you you had to be there. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to do another. Yeah, I have yeah. it recorded. Okay. I'm, I'm happy to send it to you. Okay, yeah. and then You I just mean, can't redistribute that. I, I, sell I, well, it on the black market. I was going to say, if you did have it, I could have shared it on the bio for people to look at. Oh, no, it's, it's not. Yeah, San no. Francisco. <laughs> it's yeah. not. I don't know if I have any audience in San Francisco other than you, yeah. Zai. I'm sure I could get a collection um, in. But so right now we are just trying to configure what cities do we want to do shows in again and when, but I'm thinking it's going to be for the fall. And honestly, like I'm, I'm nervous. It's a lot of pressure to sell tickets. Yeah. It is a lot of pressure to sell tickets, but I have been doing events for years and I started doing like mentoring events and workshops in 2016 yeah. in 2017. In addition to doing like speaking at academic conference, seminars, universities, giving keynotes and Selling tickets to your own show is the paramount of pressure. Yeah, like, I can't imagine. and it gives me ten out of ten anxiety. Yeah. So right now I'm having anxiety about no one's gonna come to the show, no one's gonna buy these fucking tickets. Like for eight months from now. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of terrifying, but I just hope if you're listening, I, I can <laughs> come to the show. You have at least three people in this room that yes. can show up to your show. So yeah, would you guys fly to New York though? If I don't yeah, think I only did New York shows. I, I remember when I saw it, I didn't know you well enough at the time. Like I didn't even meet you. Yet, we hadn't so. met because we hadn't yeah, had the retreat yet. So I was yet. like, yeah. this is so dope. This random nurse uh, through figs. Uh, obviously, I know her through figs. I was just like, this is so sick. She's doing stand up and like she's a nurse and she's doing all this stuff. But I didn't know you well enough, so I didn't want to just be like. Hey, let me just come to a random show. It, it was in New York, so it was a big <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would for sure come if you do the next show. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be New York and probably New York and then maybe... Um, Austin. <laughs> uh, I think... I'm pretty sure I don't have any Texas um, hey, Austin people except for like has you. has a great but, stand-up comedy scene, so. um, I know that New York and then I'm thinking Chicago. probably probably Chicago. Yeah. Um, and then something... Something on the West Coast, maybe. Okay. You might have to come to LA. Yeah. Zai. I, I think we yeah. can definitely do that. Um, so going into your um, other passion, uh, which is cooking, is that something that you've always been into or something you kind of developed over time? Well, my first semester of college, I was in a culinary program. Okay. So like, I definitely, I've always loved cooking. I love food. I, I love and appreciate the thought and the skill and just everything that goes into a meal and the what people do when they break bread together. I yeah. love that. Um, my boyfriend, Sean, when we first met, our first date, 
we went to Anthony Bourdain's favorite taco place in Philly because I was like, they have this phenomenal barbacoa tacos here. And he's like, so you really appreciate food stuff. And like, we like immediately connected and it's just something that brings me joy. And like, I'm the girl who always brings like 10 things in for the potluck. And yes, I eat potlucks. I will continue to eat work potlucks. I am not anti-potlucks. I don't give a shit. Everyone just wash their hands and no double dipping. Is there, is like, there a big discrimination against potlucks? Yo, there's people these days who are like, I'll never eat another potluck again. Oh, really? Is I'm it you? Idea. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, damn. Absolutely okay. not. Okay. All right. I, will, I was about I to eat say. a double dip dip. Thank you. Okay, good. But I, I just, I, I enjoy food. I love food. It brings me, um, you know, like I love baking. I mean, but I, I didn't pursue the culinary program because I was like, I, was I say, I'm surprised I you haven't done think... a cooking show yet or something. So Sean and I, we did a, uh, we did a cooking um, class. Yeah. We did one on Zoom. We had like 20 people at it. Um, this was last year. And it was a lot of fun, but like, it's a lot of work. And truthfully, I am 41 and I just don't have time and money to put into things that are not going to like bring me income or bring me like peace of mind. And I just, you know, I don't want to be a food blogger. I don't want to be, you know, a chef host. So, you know, we, we, we don't do that, but um, you know, it's something that I always love. Like this weekend, we're making homemade cheese sticks mm-hmm. on Sunday. So like we got some really good like USDA prime, like ribeye that we sliced from Costco. And then we got like the right onions and I'm going to make a homemade French loaf. And we got cheese Whiz. Yes, the cheese was in the jar, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. I'm wondering why the only cheese that matters in a cheese. The stick. only cheese that matters outside of Velveeta. You're welcome. I think next time we come, we need to go have like a full on course meal with you. Listen, your stuff. I I would I would happily prepare. Yeah, we just recently. <laughs> I'll before, join you in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Before, yeah, you always make good stuff. Before uh, doing this podcast, we went to Jack and his wife Frida for brunch, and it was really good. Jack's wife Frida. Jack's wife yeah. Frida. Yeah. Jack and his wife. Yeah. They had us over to their town they home did. in in Dumbo. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, so going from that uh, into your <laughs> third passion, New York, what got you? so in love with the city what made you move to the city what's like your history with the city um so i was born and raised in st louis missouri that's why i'm so hospitable right i have that midwest hospitality yeah uh that's where my y'alls come from because y'all is not a new york thing is the new york attitude a real thing is that still the thing oh yeah okay. yeah get the fuck out of here it, okay. it 1000 percent is but there's a lot of things that that are very like New York. But I moved up here because I took a travel nursing job and I just never left. I moved up here and I was like, this is where I need to be. This is my kind of place. And I really just like fell in love with what it. What drew you to the city? Was it the architecture? Or was it the people? Was it anything in particular that really kind of drew you in? Um, honestly, I just wanted to experience something totally opposite from what I had known, which was St. Louis. Right. And it doesn't get more opposite than than New York. But I think over the years, there have been a lot of things about New York that grows on me. And truthfully, the city will turn you into the person that you're meant to be if you'll let it. And a lot of people might not understand that. But 
if you move here and if you put yourself in those rooms or if you allow the city to push you to take those big crazy leaps and go into these areas that you know are kind of risky you can really accomplish a lot here because like this is this is where the world comes to get shit done yeah um you know and there's there's so many great opportunities here that you just can't get in other cities and also like this is the cuisine capital of the world. Yeah. Like there, there's so much good food in New York. I like mean, everything, the fashion, the food. I mean, just all of it. Like hub. I, I like wish I could go back in time and be like someone who works for like Vogue in the fashion industry and experience that side of New York. But that's just not me. I wear the same shit every day. I'm from very humble, like working class beginnings, and I'm gonna be that for my entire life. You still. But what I do though. appreciate. I mean, I have cool sneakers. But I do appreciate all the phenomenal food that is here. Like, and that's something that, again, like you can get some great food in other cities. Yeah. But there's like Michelin stars. I mean, in every neighborhood in this city, but there's also some phenomenal bodegas where you can go get a chopped cheese. Yeah. Like, it just you just can't beat that. Okay. And then uh, going off that, what would you say to anybody coming to New York if you were to recommend three restaurants that you would want them to try? <laughs> Fuck. Um gotta put you in that position. This is bad. I have the heart I have the hardest time with this. Off the top of your head. Shit. Um God. Uh okay, so for a burger, I would go to Pastis in the meatpacking district. Okay. For a bone in ribeye, I would go to Porterhouse in the Time Warner building. For what are you saying over there? <laughs> I think our audience, our peanut gallery is talking shit. Yeah. I'll take the meat packing district. <laughs> I'll take the oh, Zai will, will take the meat packing district for a hundred, Alex. For eight hundred dollars, meat packing no, district. He's, he's on sale this weekend for a hundred. Um, okay, and then Who I a think for <laughs> Jesus. Um. What's like so a- another really phenomenal experience is the Modern. It's a Danny Meyer restaurant, and it's in the MoMA. Okay. Sean actually took me here a few weeks ago. You'll pay five hundred dollars for lunch. Okay. However, <laughs> however, you will be there for three hours, and you will have an experience that is it like a will, multiple like, course meal? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, okay. the service is sublime. The dishes, I, I mean. There's just so much that goes into it that you're yeah. getting like with that. Um, you're not getting a plate with the one little pee on Oh, no, no, okay. Ab- absolutely not. Just Blue like- Hill at Stone Barns. Okay. Um, also a phenomenon. I know this, this list no, is no, going no. on. That's fine. It's gives um, us more for all three. I do love Gramercy Tavern um, also. And um, God, there's, there's, there's just, there's just too many. Yeah. There's, there's just too many. But that's what I liked about meeting you and talking to you about New York because, you know, you talk to some people and they just, you know, they, they have their little like um, wisdom about New York, but you have so much knowledge because you've been here for so long and you know the best sneaker stores, you know the best restaurants. And it's fun to talk to you about this stuff because it's like you you get almost overwhelmed with how much. It is overwhelming and I fucking live here. Yeah, and There's so much shit that I still haven't even seen. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and it's like, damn, like I just, um, and I think that's like tricky. the thing is like your passion is literally just New York and everything. Just New York. And, uh, I just love New York. Yeah. I love that. New York or nowhere. 
Yeah, we See? just went to a store. That's why I took you to that store, New yeah. York or nowhere store. Yeah, and Zai bought over four hundred dollars worth of stuff. And he though. said, "I'm not buying higher anything. Higher. Yeah. I'm not buying anything." I basically was like, "Hey, Zai, are you taking anything with you?" He's like, "No, I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting right. anything." But yeah, um, okay, sneakers. I do want to talk about that because I love sneakers. I love the art behind it, the stories behind it. Yeah. And you have some of the dopest sneakers here. You're currently wearing off whites. No big deal. But <laughs> Uh, I do I'm in a, a big, size four and a half. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> so I saved some money on because I got the drops. big kids. <laughs> yeah, they like don't sell out as quickly because the five year olds don't even have. Yeah, they do. Um, but I still have never won on the sneakers app. Oh really? And this is something that I know Christian can relate you know, to you, because he's won one time, yeah. and I still am like, how the fuck did you get that? Do you guys know what I won recently? Just the one time. The, what? Yeah, the uh, only one time I won what? was the uh, lost in pounds. <laughs> the Jordan one lost the bounce, oh and I was just God. like, I thought it was a scam at first because I got the accept, and I was like, this is a fuck. I'm about to get ripped off by China or something. Oh but, man. Yeah, no. Um, so if I were to, I'm a big list person, so I want to know like your favorite sneakers that you own right now and why you have such an attachment to them. So my favorite sneakers that I own are my um, Jordan Four Off White Sales. Okay. Because Those I love monochrome. Okay. So I love monochrome. I also love anything, like pretty much anything that Virgil did during his, you know, career. Yeah. Um, in fact, the only like nice purses that I have are like two off-white bags. Off-white, like yeah. I don't have Gucci. I don't have Louis. I don't have any of that stuff. I have off-white shit. And the reason you love um, it is because of the designer himself and the story behind him. I mean, I, I do. I like that he's, I like that he is like an unlikely story. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that's, you know, his relatable. Yeah, and um, I also like that he broke a lot of barriers, which is something that um, I hope other other people can see in him too. But yeah. I think the off-white sales are my favorite pair because I love monochrome, but I got these leather laces to be custom made, so it matches the sneakers That's perfectly. Awesome. And I didn't wear them today because I was like, if it's gonna rain later, like yeah. you just you just can't chance it. Yeah. And these, I mean, like these, you know, they could go out in the rain. It, it's no problem. They're actually like waterproof. Yeah, those are dope. Um, um, yeah, those are my favorite sneakers. Um, what What do you feel like you love like about sneakers? Because I feel like every sneakerhead has a different reason to why they're so attracted to it or some yeah i think for me it's my accessory i don't as you can see i don't wear jewelry i don't have um like any other accessory other than like my glasses or like my nails that's your statement piece in your album yeah but i also like shit that's comfortable i don't like wearing heels i like shit that's comfortable i've kind of always been like a tomboy um like if i could wear sneakers to the event tonight i really would yeah (laughs) but um i think for me it's just it's my little statement piece. I love that. That's why I always switch the laces up. I always have like mismatched laces. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm on sneaker budget restriction right now. I haven't bought any in a long time, yeah. but the pieces that I do have, I'm very happy with. Yeah, I love that. I think that's how we originally connected because you yeah. and I both had mochas when we were yeah. at the retreat. Yeah. And we just started talking. We were about on the bus. Yeah, yeah, we talked a lot about everything. Um, but yeah. Uh, I feel like we've covered quite a bit. Um, 
I wanted to. I mean, yeah, it's been an hour. Yeah, I wanted to see if you had any questions for me. I feel like obviously I'm not as vocal as you are, so sometimes like I can me be vocal. in a show. But um, if <laughs> you had any curiosities or questions about me, we usually end the show with that. Give the guest a chance to ask me a question or feel free. So my question for you is, what do you want people to take away from each episode of Hanging with Hamza? Good question. Um, so the point of this podcast was basically like a passion project. So I love talking about things I'm passionate about. I think it's the most fun part of my conversations with people is like, I love learning and I love learning random things. Yeah. And, uh, I've been so lucky to be with Figs and to be in this like influencer market of meeting interesting people mm -hmm. such as you. And I think with that being said, all of us have such interesting backgrounds that we've succeeded at and become um, popular through because of something we're passionate about. And it's all such a niche, unique culture. And so having this podcast has given me a chance to not only have you guys selfishly on and talk with me for an hour, like I can force <laughs> you to sit down and talk to me, but also along the way, I can learn so much about you and what you're passionate about. And like, you know, even with this interaction, I've learned so much about you that I didn't know beforehand. And I like, obviously I researched a little bit. I asked Zai questions about you because you're, you're somebody that's well regarded in the nursing field. Like everybody knows who you are. They know what you've ad advocated for, but I feel like there's so many other layers to you. Like your sneaker head background, your cooking, like there's just so much more that I think adds to your beauty and like, um, your overall interest. And so, yeah, this podcast is just my way of unlayering that onion. Oh, I'm layering the a little onion. Shrek reference there. No hey. big deal. But um, yeah, I just uh, I, I just love having people like you on, and I'm so proud of you for everything you've accomplished. And well, thank you. You know, for the five listeners listening to this, <laughs> they're gonna love you too. So, well, hello, um, listeners. Yeah, and I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> thank you for being here. I'm really grateful you took the time to come out and talk. Absolutely. And you have a busy, busy lifestyle, and uh, it means a lot to me. And uh, I mean, listen, we're, we're, we're all busy, but again, I, I support people who are, who are doing things and, you know, I, I, I respect it and I think it's great what you're doing and I'm down for any of it. Thanks, Katie. Can't wait to come visit you at your next show in New York. Everybody listening, come to oh Katie's That's five show. tickets sold. Yeah. <laughs> we're almost sold out. That's five tickets <laughs> sold. We got three here, so we got yep. eight. So there we go. You're, you're on a good start. Well, so. thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks um, for coming on and, uh. Thanks for coming on the show and thank you for listening, guys. We'll see y'all later. Thanks for hanging out with Hamza. Take care.